Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is the 24th of the 5th. It is a Sunday. It is another beautiful day. Michael, how are you today? Oh, it's uh, another beautiful day in paradise. paradise. Very ho-hum about it, frankly, at this stage. Anyway. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the Michael of pure cheer and boundless joy I expect to see at this time of the morning. Well, you know, Gary, we have a pandemic going on. And it looks like just in the middle of the pandemic, we're going to have the apocalypse. And it's not going to be the apocalypse we expected. China. China remains a uh, an endless well of bad news. But at least interesting news do you remember michael a couple of weeks ago and we were like god there's only covid19 to yeah, talk about yeah. nothing but covid19 and then blessedly there was news and now there's even more news and uh, this week a lot has happened in relation to china that we're going to go into uh, hong kong really really interesting australia really really interesting but also and i haven't seen this in any Irish news, I haven't really seen it in much international news at all outside of the like of maybe foreign policy, is the escalating tensions between China and India and Pakistan is kind of involved. Nepal. All of which are nuclear powers. Yeah, that's that's the gorgeous thing. You've got one point, what, billion in China, one point other billion in India, three or four, three, 300 million in Pakistan, all of them have nuclear weapons. One of them is an atheist state. One of them is uh, a technically a secular a secular republic, but increasingly uh, influenced by uh, how do you say so phalangist Hindu politics, and then and the and then you have the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. So it's oh, it's 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 a great, it's a story. It's also not a new story, which is even better. You know these long, festering, bubbling resents resentment-filled problems and borders, you know, they're, they're great because you never know when they're going to just erupt into a separating mass of global destruction. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is there's a, a region of the Kashmir uh, called Ladakh. And Kashmir and the Kashmir Valley, the history of, of that region on its own is just a nightmare. Um, we do not have time to go into it. Suffice it to say, there have been continual disputes between India, Pakistan, and the Chinese about the Kashmir region for quite a long time. I, I think the Kashmir Valley has been in effectively a state of conflict since about the 9th century. In the particular current iteration is goes back to when, for whatever reasons, the... Um, Maharaja decided, which was the case, even though the population, the majority of the population was Muslim, the Maharaja decided he would stay within the newly formed Republic of India rather than go to Pakistan. A bit of Kashmir, I think, goes off into Pakistan, but the rest stays in India. And, of course, this was the new Republic of India, bordering with China. Uh, Both Mao's China and the Republic of India come into existence in and around the same time. And both, I suppose, see each other. There's an element of one or the other is going to be the natural leader in Asia, natural leader of the third world, natural leader of the new world order. But what's happening now, uh, as I haven't seen this picked up very much, is that China has started to put troops into uh, Ladakh. The, the, The region is disputed. But they've started to push troops over what historically they had claimed. 
So India and China had agreements on the subject, but now it looks like Beijing is pushing in. It looks like the the um, the Indians have been developing the region, particularly building better road networks, and that pissed off the Chinese, and now they're pushing forward. There's meant to be somewhere between 1,500 and 5,000 Chinese troops on what the Indians consider to be Indian soil, uh, building bunkers. To give you a sense, to the, the, this sort of sense of what, what we're talking about, in the past, when there were tensions here, they would always refer to these these tensions in in the high passes, because we're talking we're talking high high cold, empty, barren places, where there are fantastic roads which should not exist at all, but have been built because on both the Chinese and Indian side they needed very good roads to be able to guarantee the very the, the rapid movement of troops. The Indians have a pretty well a permanent acclimatized uh, force there. The, the the odd thing is this wasn't flagged, to to my knowledge. I, as you do, I'd usually have a look at either the Times of India or the Hindustan Times uh, a few times a week just to see if there's something because they'll obviously curry, cover cover stories in India, which is big country or Asia in a better way than the European papers will. There'd be nothing really about this. Uh, also, as far as I can see, Gary, there's no stated aim. The Chinese haven't said we are doing this to achieve this. We're do- Or there's no reason we're doing this because of this. Or we've been provoked through this. It's just China being a bit, a bit of a, bit of a bluto, a bit of a bully boy. It's almost as if uh, President Xi is feeling under pressure domestically, that he's feel that he feels he may be suffering criticism within the party because of the way he's handled the pandemic, or rather hasn't handled it. And hmm. there's stuff happening all over the gaff with them at the moment. Like he's just since the start of this year, they've been sort of escalating tensions on the border, but it's been fairly low key. Uh, there have been a couple of skirmishes this month. Uh, on May 9th, um, according to foreign policy, at an altitude of 15,000 foot. Can you imagine it? Uh, soldiers from both sides got into an argument and started uh, trying to th- throwing stones at each <laughs> other. Which sounds kind of ridiculous, but you can actually do quite a lot of damage to people with a stone. So one of the Indian... Um, Officers ended up being airlifted to a hospital because of uh, an injury picked up in it. But yeah, when you look at the Times of India, the Hindustan Times, this really wasn't mentioned until the last couple of days. And then it was, you know, far into the paper of, you know, there's there's issues there. And then, let's say the last day, I mean, the last 18 hours, maybe. I mean, the Hindustan Times have uh, an article... um, uh, saying that, well, this is an attempt by the Chinese to divert from internal concerns and therefore any concession or conciliatory move would be seen as weakness. Uh, the Times of India, which is generally a little bit more restrained on these things, is also saying that you know, this is um, this is something we have to be strong on. Yeah. Uh... And it's, it's, it's something like that. I mean, let's see, the last time China, China and India fought war, or war before, but not that it was the 60s, wasn't it? Early 60s. Early 60s, early, something like 62. <clears throat> and then there were, again, tensions when Bangladesh broke off and India supported the 
the Bengali, when they, which Bangladesh had previously been East Pakistan and decided to break off because they didn't feel it was doing that well in Pakistan. So, And then that caused tensions. But there, there, are, there have always been these little niggles and little, you know, incidents. And, uh, that's a, just a, it's a constant thing. But the, 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 I suppose that what I was saying was that <clears throat> this seems to be happening in the context of all sorts of other stuff happening. It's not just uh, obviously the, the the wider background is the background of the pandemic. But was last week we had the scene where the Chinese basically issued an ultimatum to Australia because Australia was demanding uh, an independent and proper inquiry into the the origin and the genesis and this of this of the of the virus and then the pandemic and China was rather keen for that not to be happening. Yeah, and they, they effectively threatened a um a trade war. And then they started moving on that and started putting in tariffs, started blocking other things. Um it's they are definitely throwing their, their, their weight around. You have in a way I'm not entirely sure they've thought out. So you have that. That was and it wasn't just Australia. Australia was being used as an example of anybody that, was going to put their head up up the parapet that China was going to use its economic power and economic might to give them a good thrashing. Now, happily, we've seen so far a coalition of 20 other countries in the West have come in to support Australia. Others, I hope, will follow uh, and make it clear to China that they can't get away with this kind of thing. They're doing this in China, but they're also now, uh, they're, they've made it pretty clear that whatever anybody else thinks about their responsibilities in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is part of China. They will make the decisions about the future of Hong Kong, about the governments of Hong Kong. And everybody else can go whistle because... Uh, as what's the what was the phrase? One country, two one, systems. Yeah, that's gone. The one country, two. Now, this this is for those who don't know. When when the British handed over Hong Kong uh, back to China in nineteen uh, sorry nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety seven, Macau was nineteen ninety nine. I think they the Chinese agreed under then Jinping agreed to a system called one country, two systems, where effectively. Hong Kong would be fully part of China, but on domestic affairs apart, so ignoring defence and ignoring diplomacy, Hong Kong would have a massive amount of leeway. And then the mainland would have uh, you know, communism with Chinese characteristics, which is how the Chinese describe their system. And Hong Kong could largely do what it want, wanted, as long as it didn't make problems for the mainland. And this was a this was a diplomatic undertaking the Chinese gave. This had um, force behind it. It was part of why the British agreed to give over Hong Kong, which I think was a terrible mistake. Anyway, they won it in the Opium Wars, and they should have kept. <laughs> well, they had they had a contract. the The problem now is that China is effectively saying, "Well, we don't care about that." And in fact, you've seen people like Lord Patton, who was the last governor of Hong Kong come out and say that um, this this is the death of that system. The Chinese agreed to it as part of the handover 
And this move shows people what is becoming more... His, I think his exact phrase was, this, sh this shows us something that's becoming more and more clear. Communist China cannot be trusted uh, to abide by any of its agreements or undertakings. Which, for someone of that position to come out and say publicly is uh, is an incredible thing. I mean, the EU doesn't even like to talk about China as if it has any geopolitical or grand strategic goals. Which, of course. There's like a taboo about saying that China might have goals or intentions and in how it acts towards other Sorry, people. Sorry, one thing we didn't say, and it's maybe it's important to put, just to put the political, in another another context. Right now, our, we are, is the, the National People's Congress is, is is in is deliberating so it it's, it opened up on the 21st 22nd of may and this is the, the single biggest sort of political event that happens in china when which is this is the sort of the subset of the chinese communist party is the national people's congress so that xi is making these kinds of moves and making this kind of noise at this time during the people's congress you have to imagine is indicative that the, the He's playing to an extent to to a particular audience. Now, the, Hong Kong is obviously a hot button issue for China because, in a way that I don't think people in the West understand, Hong Kong, Macau, delegations in in Peking, the the say the bond the special privileges in places like in Shanghai. For the Chinese, this was deeply, deeply shaming. They felt that they were, and they were, for good reason, this a vast, powerful, ancient empire and civilization, and they were being forced to trade and to concede territory to these European nations, who they really had very little time. So it's... Hong Kong and Macau, but particularly Hong Kong, is very, it's symbolic of China regaining greatness, regaining its control of its own destiny, and of taking uh, its place as a great power at, in the world. So part of this is Xi speaking to that growth of nationalism, which has been encouraged, what he has encouraged in previous, have been encouraging in Japan. And also, it seems to me, this is this is directed more than anybody else towards Trump, the way it's been talked about. I mean, this, uh, it's, it's a China dares Trump to hit back with Hong Kong power grab. It's, for example, one of the, one of the headlines going around. So I, I, I think it's important, in the context of all of the stuff that's happening, there's politics happening in China as well. And look at, I, I don't know, Gary, did you notice? I'm sure you did. For the first time, they have abandoned growth figures. And Xi is actually talking in the Congress about a stimulus package. I mean, until fairly recently, Chinese were just confidently saying, no, no, no. By the time we get into the third quarter, we're going to be back to growth, 6%. That's gone now. Yeah, I, I did note that the uh, that the growth figures were gone, which is particularly interesting given that China's growth figures are pretty much entirely fabricated. Yeah, it, 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 they've always been really more about us telling a story than anything. But yesterday, Premier, and I'm going to have a try, it's Li Keijuang announced that China 
was going to abandon and this has been going on for its decades long practice of setting an annual target for economic growth. I mean, this was going back, God, I think, to the 80s. And in a very, obviously, central planned economy kind of a way, they they set a figure and then everybody always exceeded the figure. That was the point. But that this They've abandoned that and they, because of, quote, great uncertainty in the world economy. Now... Not the Chinese economy. No, 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 not the Chinese economy, the world economy. The world yeah. economy. Um, also, and I don't know this, I mean, defence spending this year was to grow at the slow, is the slowest space, pace since 1991. China ultimately is, I suppose, it, um, a country like any other. And it's facing a, the, uh, the problem of, well, maybe not like any other, but it is a country with human beings in it. And, Maybe the responses are going to be different, but the responses are going to be of the people are going to be the same. You have a problem with, because of the problem of the economic growth and, in fact, contraction, you're actually facing unemployment, growing unemployment in the mainland. In Hong Kong, you also were looking at the legislative elections coming up in September, where it was widely expected that the those the delegates seeking election who would be seen to perceived to be friendly to the to to Peking were not going to do well. The listener will remember Gary the the very violent scenes, the clashes, the riots, whatever, on the streets of Hong Kong when Beijing tried to impose um new sets of uh sort of a new set of uh, of criminal laws and uh, association laws in Hong Kong in a way which went again the against the the accepted principle. So they seem to be trying. There's an element of this that they're 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 just not going to bargain anymore. They're the boss. They tried to get Hong Kong to simmer down. They you know pulled opposing uh, legislators out of key votes so they could get their people on certain committees. Mm -hmm. They tried to crack down, and now they've decided, fuck it. Just put it through a rubber stamp parliament, totally avoid the um, Hong Kong's legislative body, and just go in with a law designed to clamp down on subversion and sedition and treason, and that would give uh, the security apparatus of mainland China the option of setting up outposts on Hong Kong itself and just just crack everything down. I I came across a quote there, uh, which I thought was interesting. It kind of encapsulates the notion. We tend to look at China. I am I think I knew that as this rather monolithic, faceless thing where the Communist Party is still in charge. The guy in front of the front of house, in a sense, doesn't change. It's a face, but basically, it's just a manifestation of the will of the party. And it, it's probably untrue. I mean, Deng Xiaoping, for example, seems to have been, I think, was probably had a genuinely different vision for the direction of both China as a people and China as an economy and a, and a, a gradually diminishing role for the party in the way that Xi certainly does. Anyway, David Zweig, who is the Emeritus Professor at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited, said, Xi feels threatened. The leadership feels threatened. 
This is, quote, we're not going to give an inch, we're going to tighten up, and Hong Kong's national security as a potential subversive centre is greater than its economic value. And that's an interesting one, isn't it? That they now Particularly because Hong Kong's economic value is quite significant. It, it, very significant, indeed. And they, But even at this time of economic crisis, they've come to the conclusion that actually it's, they don't care. Or if, that if they care, they care more about its potential as a subversive centre. And I suppose if you're looking at a population where there's a, a, real, a real possibility that you're going to see standards of living drop, you're going to see a surge in unemployment where people have been experiencing the realities of a, a lockdown not quite like any other. And while people will be all patriotic and helpful while the crisis is going on, as we know ourselves, as the crisis keeps going on and on, people start eventually to be less engaged in waving the flag and become a bit disgruntled and start to wonder if this whole thing maybe could have been handled better. And maybe so maybe there I mean this Hong Kong sitting there as this source of discontent bourgeois democracy happening all over the place would be bad news. China economic issues are one of the few things that worry the CCP because they stay in power through economic growth. I mean, there are hundreds of protests every day in China. Like hundreds of them. But they never really lead anywhere because they've no common theme unifying them. It's just China is a massive country and it's also a dictatorship, so you're going to get protests. But I think as we saw before, um, there's a situation before where um, Chinese people tend to be heavily invested into the Chinese stock exchange. Yes. And there was a brief period where that looked like it was gonna, it was coming down slightly and people were losing money. Yeah, that w- and I've never <laughs> seen the Chinese Communist Party move like that. That was not good news. No, they, they were not going to let that happen. Yeah, for them to say, yeah, we'll just take the economic hit on Hong Kong is is interesting. I I don't know if these... (laughs) There's a lot of stuff China is now doing. I mean, it's got a trade war. It's got what could be a real war. It's now cracking down on Hong Kong in a way that will lead people to see that China cannot be trusted to abide by its international treaties. And all of those things together would seem to be... <clears throat> like if you if you were in a position of strength in China, are those the things you would do? Well, no, but uh... I mean, I would say no. Particularly the Australian thing, you wouldn't have started a trade war with them. You would have quietly gone to them and tried to dissuade them that way. And if they wouldn't go for it, you would have said, "Oh, we of course we'll help." And then you would have quietly tightened the screws over a couple of months. But just just to to, to throw something else into the pot. There has in in the in the world of Chinese diplomacy, we are assured that every word is is chosen very very carefully. If you like, every accent, every comma, every apostrophe has a meaning. Now, just at the moment when China decides to act up with its fellow billionaire country. India, both of also China and India and Pakistan, all nuclear powers. 
there's um I referred earlier to the the Chinese Premier Li Keqiang who was making the statement about the economics. He he made a statement which has caused a certain amount of uh, concern in the United States, where he left out the word peaceful on Friday when he referred to Beijing's desire to reunify with Chinese-claimed Taiwan. An apparent, quote, an apparent policy shift that comes with as ties with Taipei continue on a downward spiral. Apparently, they always use the word peaceful, peaceful reunification, peaceful joint, all that. The fact that they didn't use this has been taken in the United States as an indication. Once we've sorted out Hong Kong and we've dealt with the Indians, we're coming for Taiwan. Now, the United States has a mutual defence pact with Taiwan, which I, I, I very much imagine is the United States defending Taiwan rather than Taiwan defending the United States. I, yeah, I think we could say that. Although, I, from the information I've seen, the um, the American military does not think it can actually hold Taiwan. It's a question of... The Chinese are so close to... You're what? You're 200 kilometers away? Most? I think even... I think less at the Straits. Less? I think possibly. I don't yeah. know. Sure. It's a while since so the, I believe, from what I've seen of American military wargaming and strategic uh, work that they've released they expect they'll lose Taiwan pretty much immediately. And then it becomes a question of, okay, um, are you willing to engage in a war with China half a world away in order to take a place that's already fallen? And I mean, with that distance, China can endlessly resupply its people. Mm-hmm. So yes. it, it's more, I, it would be a question of whether or not that would actually be the lengths to which America would abide with its defensive pact with it. But I think um, I think with relation to Hong Kong, Beijing, if it wants to, can do this. It, Hong Kong is it, its territory. Yes, it would look bad. Yes, it would show that China, or at least communist China, cannot be trusted to abide by its international uh, agreements. But it can absolutely do it. And I think that is the problem here is that people will say this is terrible and will complain, but there's no way people are not going to be willing to stop them because it would... What can you do to stop them? So this is probably the death of Hong Kong uh, as in any way independent from Chinese Communist Party control. And there is an interesting question there, I think, for, uh, for Britain and for Australia particularly, is um, refugee policy. Yeah. I think is about the most that they'll be able to do there because China doesn't seem to care. They seem to have decided they're just doing this. It's not a story that we're reading about. <clears throat> but around six months ago, I was talking to um, a young Chinese businessman, he was 28, 29, who was moving his business, well, I would say better, moving his money to Ireland where he was going to set up a new business. And he'd been in Hong Kong and, you know, everything we see about Hong Kong, it's still an enormously successful, vibrant e- economy. It's incredibly doing wealthy. incredibly well. And I said, what's it? Why are you coming? Why are you coming here? And, I said, and he says, oh, tax. Best place to do it is tax regime. Is I said, yeah, I don't mean specifically Ireland, but why are you leaving Hong Kong? Why are you coming to Europe at all? Why? I said, and he said, in this very matter of fact way. Oh, he said, uh, Hong Kong is finished. 
in this, what do you mean it's finished? No, no. We're going to get another two, three years, maybe five years out of it. But they're coming. And at the end, they don't care. He said they used to care about the money. They used to be, re- it was a big deal. The money that Hong Kong made, the import, economic importance of Hong Kong, was a real factor for the Chinese. They don't care anymore. Now, it's about security. It's about prestige also. But it's about security. And they're just tired. They're tired of all these people complaining. They're tired of all this subversive activity. And they don't care. And I asked him, did he, was his opinion an opinion widely held? He said, no, well, it was people of his age, people that sort of in their 20s, maybe the early 30s. People older than that were said, no, no. They were absolutely convinced that China is not going to be so stupid as to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. But this 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 man anyway, he seemed like a seriously bright guy. He was 28 but had made himself a lot of money, uh, which he was bringing here. So I said, well, well I'm sure you're very welcome. But he was very, very negative. And just these reports maybe are indica- indicative that of that backstory that we haven't been hearing about, that sense that as the economic success of China has risen and the political problems of Hong Kong have become more intense, the Chinese reached a point where they just don't care. Well, I mean, if you think if you think about it, in 1999, the Chinese GDP was about a trillion dollars. Right. It's now over 13 trillion. That's a, yeah, Hong yeah. Kong's GDP in 2018 was 362 billion dollars right. and it's it's gone up massively since um since 1999 in fact it's it's about doubled it was about 160 170 billion in 1999 yeah as a proportion of the the global gdp mm, i mean it's much like what we've seen with uh, india actually when India and China made their agreement about Ladakh, they were similar powers. But now China is has it has simply grown so much richer and therefore so much more powerful that now all of its old agreements it's looking at and kind of going, mm, we might be able to take that. And India has also grown immensely, but when you like on the on the raw balance of power, it's grown, but China has respectively grown much, much more. China's been more successful at eliminating that really dire poverty. So, I mean, unless unless the Chinese, for some reason, decide that they will pull back from this, and the fact that they've done it in the first place indicates that they don't care what the reaction is, because <coughs> even doing this is going to harm their reputation, or even talking about doing this is going to harm it. So most likely, this is the sort of um, death of Hong Kong. And uh, they will die pretty much alone because no one else is, um, they'll talk, but no one else. But also at the end of the day, I mean, we have expected, they accepted the principle that Hong Kong was Chinese and ultimately the Chinese then get to make the decisions. And if Hong Kong goes, then I found the thing I was trying to find here on Taiwan, this this speech where uh, Lee said his country would, he said, resolutely oppose any deter any separatist activities seeking Taiwan independence. 
China will improve policies and measures to encourage exchanges and cooperation across the strait and protect the well-being. I like that of the, the, these lines. We will encourage them to join us in opposing Taiwan independence and promoting China's reunification. With these efforts, we can surely create a beautiful future for the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. And this is Reuters' comment. However, there was no mention of the word peaceful in front of reunification. Departing from the standard expression of Chinese leaders have used for at least four decades when addressing Parliament and, mes- and mentioning Taiwan. Now, Gary, that doesn't happen by accident, does it? Well, it could actually happen by accident. You think? Somebody I think if who you is, give somebody as experienced as that man and as deep as he is in the party. The 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 what I what I also refer always refer back to when things like this happen and they seem in isolation. Do you remember when Tony Blair reshuffled his cabinet and wrote the names of the people who were in the new cabinet on post it notes and one fell off the board? Yeah. And they just they were so embarrassed that they just didn't put that person into the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because by the time they realised that it had fallen off the board, they'd, they'd appointed everyone, <laughs> and the person whose position they were taking yes. thought they were yeah, safe. Yeah. So they just, just be... they just didn't put that person in. There's all... Like, the amount of fuck-ups you see historically in diplomacy and in politics oh, that... is way higher than people no, who no, haven't no, been no. inside I, think I, it I, is. Always... So it's, an, it's entirely possible that this is a change in Chinese policy. But until we see something else on this, or we see another diplomatic figure from China also use the same language, it is actually possible it was just accidental. Anyway, speaking... Other wars have started from roughly that thing. Speaking of uh, wonderful... uh, Shall we say... Speaking of diplomacy and war, I just want to very quickly advert to something before we finish up. Uh, if we are. Uh, I, I don't know, Gary, did you hear the news that Simon Coveney has contacted Verona Murphy for coalition talks? And I've, I'm just enjoying this. I'm just, I'm enjoying this like a big bowl of ice cream, with chocolate sauce. I, 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 what was it Leo, what was it Leo said about her? That it was a good thing that she hadn't been elected because he didn't know how long she would have lasted in Fine yeah. uh, What's I mean, a Fine Gael coalition government. Simon Harris. How long she last in that? Simon Harris said, you know, the decision to get rid of her was looking better by the minute that she just wasn't the kind of person that you'd want. I mean, but apparently she's got better. I mean, it's like Michael Lowry. (laughs) Everyone speaks so badly about Michael Lowry. Until you need to form a government and then there's a little bit of, hi, Michael, how have you been? (laughs) Good day, isn't it? I just love the fact that Town Coveney is there, you know. And this is a completely, completely self-inflicted wound. It was also stupid. If they for... For, for those who, just, just in case for the, the, the listener can't remember, Verona Murphy ran for Fine Gael in the local uh, elections. Or sorry, in the by-elections. Yes. She, I think she did the best of any of the Fine Gael candidates they well, ran. Didn't get both elected. Both in absolute numbers well. and in proportion of the vote was somewhat controversial because she had made some comments about immigration, the exact tone of which I can't even remember now. But um, controversial. And then after she lost, 
senior members of Fine Gael started briefing the press that it was good she had lost. No, but just, no, and this was, yeah, you have to remember, just to contextualize, she had been confirmed as the Fine, as a Fine Gael candidate for the general election. She was going to stand for Fine Gael in the upcoming general election, and that had... Oh, had they confirmed? Oh, yeah. And, in fact, Pascal had gone on the radio and said there was no doubt that... Because there had been the, the hoo-ha. And then after the election, Pascal went on the radio and said, oh, no, Verona Murphy will be a candidate. And then it all happened. It all changed. Yeah, they, they started publicly calling her out. Simon Harris on radio talking about her, Leo talking about her. And she, I would imagine, with no small degree of uh, joyous spite, ran against them in the uh, general and took a seat. Well, I would say that she basically, in, in a way, had to run. She'd been called out, effectively, effectively accused of being some kind of a racist by the former, her former colleagues in the party. As really described as this kind of unsuitable, unfit person. And she did a wonderful interview with Ivan Yates and Ivan threw in the, the Harris comments, which had been, I think, recorded li- at the time. And it she did produce a great line it was to the effect of, what you hear there, Ivan, is the voice of what is undoubtedly the worst Minister for Health in the history of the state, desperately trying to detract, detract uh, attention from his own incredible incompetence. A line which yeah, she delivered beautifully. Line. I mean, not angrily, she was very, very good. So, to nobody's amazement having been treated like this, she ran as an independent. Lo and behold, junior Minister for Finance, Michael Darcy TD, in the lost to seat. If they had let her run, I don't think she would have taken a seat. I think, But I think Michael Darcy would have taken a seat. And she, they would, but now there she is as an independent, and she may well indeed be considering perhaps a junior ministry as a suitable thing for a woman of her undoubted capacities and experience, wouldn't it? <laughs> this sort of stuff has happened before. I mean, you look at the Healy Rains, yeah. they're organizers for Finnafall, they've got the area locked up. The father goes to Finnafall and says, Yeah, he wants to run. Finnafall say no in a way which angers him greatly. So he breaks away and he takes the entire county. (laughs) Yes. In a way you don't really see usually. (laughs) And lo and behold, a few years later we're at a point where they almost had three quotas. I mean, they almost actually, more than three, they almost had three people elected. Like that at least there was some political sense behind because there would have been situations where you'd go, well, no, we can't run you because... You know, we have people there and we can't just replace yeah. them kind of thing. Whereas this is just a fully self-inflicted gunshot wound. Utterly. Because like, if you... you don't have to go on after she's gotten the best of any of the people you ran and start insulting her. Because you're basically just poking her repeatedly and going, oh, you're going to take it though, aren't you? Yeah. You're gonna ta- what are you going to do about it? Kind of run against us? All they were do- the only reason they are doing this was so that... They would be well thought of by certain friends of theirs in the press or certain people they might be having dinner with. People who very likely wouldn't vote for them anyway. And instead of just leaving the thing lie, the woman had lost. Let her go. But no, in this 
they had to be moral, they had to be good. When actually, and I point, made the point at the time, I think, when you actually went looking for the smoking gun, you know those political stories, Gary, where you come into the middle of it and you think you've missed something? Because when somebody explains it to you, you think, yeah, yeah, but there's obviously more to it than that. That can't be it. You can't have all of this happening. And then after a while you realise, no, this is it. It's just ridiculous. And I went looking for her smoking gun comment. And I found absolutely nothing. You really had to be reading her comments, it seemed to me, in bad faith. And interpreting her intentions. And getting inside her mind. And then being in bad faith again. To see what she said as being really, as it was characterised by certain elements in the press. But anyway, I, there we are. They are... Hugga mugga together, Simon and Verona. And I hope Verona squeezes tight, tight and gets all she can for the good people of Wexford. For example... Get all the roads you can, girl. Um, one of her very good ideas is that Dublin Port should be moved to Ross Lair. Mm, I think that's that's actually... I mean, there's a strong argument for Dublin Port to be moved out of Dublin. Very good. Argument. Really, does not need to be there. Really, doesn't huge um, amount of land. But I mean, I, I think as I think as a former head, or even it couldn't still couldn't still be the current head Maybe. of the uh, transport trade group. Yep. I'm sure Verona would love many, many lovely roads. Lovely roads. Going all over the place. Well, we have a lot of roads in Wexford, actually, as it is. I don't know why. But historically... Oh, there could always be more, more roads. Like a better road. The bigger and wider roads. Higher speed higher limits. Higher speed limits. Mm. Just for Wexford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would be good. And sm- and then smaller, worse roads in Kilkenny. Actually, degrade the, degrade <laughs> the road system in Kilkenny. Get people out with pickaxes. Yeah, get them out with the pickaxes. But most of all, I think I think Ross Airport, 75% of the goods that come into the port in Dublin are not actually for Dublin. Ross is there. It's massively underused. Fire isn't Ross It's only an hour and a bit from uh, Dublin on the road system anyway, because that the, the motorway is going, is going to come down there fairly shortly. It's on the rail link, so you don't have... It's the direct rail link if you want to get goods up. And increasingly, that's going to be the goods mechanism. Uh, I think it would be a tremendous idea. And think of all of the land that could be freed up for seafront and riverfront and dockfront properties. It would be perfectly lovely. I think, good on you. Go on. You get that Verona. Get it for Wexford. Anyway, that's I, wouldn't, I, I wanted to mention Verona before we went. Is there a... Uh, is, was there something you wanted to say, Gary? No, no, I um, I think I, I picked China, so I think I got all of that. You got all of that. You got the you got China off your chest. I am I am somewhat surprised that so just on the um on the Chinese India thing, I it's it hasn't been reported in, in most of the press I can find, like at all anything about Ladakh. Um, but if you go to foreign policy, the single most read article they currently have is an article on um, on the border issue yeah. by two um, two Indian professors on how this is something we should be worried about, and China is now reassessing all of its previous agreements because it's now simply so powerful. And that if it chooses, it would, um, there's quite a lot it could do here. And there's a real risk of this kind of escalating. 
Well, that's so people. That's I mean, people are people are interested in it, obviously, because it's wouldn't foreign policy tends to be read by people who work in the area. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link to the to the article they did um, in the podcast notes. Actually, it's a good article. The article in the Hindustan Times is worth reading as well. Anybody's out there. Mm. China's tactical play in Ladakh isn't just about the boundary. So the Indian media seems to be taking the uh, the line that. Um, India can't show weakness here. That has to stand up to China, which is what you want in any fight with nuclear powers. <laughs> you want deeply nationalistic media on both sides <laughs> saying that, that, that you can't show weakness to the Chinese. I, I don't know if that's fair to either the Times of India or the Indian Times. They're both. I don't know. I, there are there are nationalist papers in in India, Gary. But yeah, you're right. I I, mean, a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot more nationalist. Then this, no, that, that's yeah. true. They really have nationalist yeah. papers. Proper, proper, the, the Jatna, Jain, BNJ, BNJ party stuff are uh, pretty, pretty hard line on that. Anyway, um, it is still a lovely day. We're, it's very odd weather. I mean, to be an old Irishman about it, it is very, it's hot and it's cold. No, no, it's Michael. Hot, it's no. We have not fall in the fair but anyway that we will talk about it is the weather. supposed to be a lovely day today 18 degrees so i think maybe it is now time to release the listener back into the wild so he can enjoy the loveliness and take some vitamin d and get his in his skin and build up and take some zinc as well zinc is important too but until wednesday uh, stay at home if you stay home if you're staying home stay safe and if you're out don't sneeze on people because it's not nice bye bye all the best <laughs>